It's hard to get along, and you're on the right side radio. Solid, conservative, and just plain right. Alabama's syndicated news talk leader, Right Side Radio, Phil Williams, here live in the Right Side Studios. Man, we got the local, the state, the national, covering down on all the issues. And like that dude just said, yes, we are solid, conservative, and just plain right. Well, it's Monday, Monday, January the 9th, and Boomer's on the board. Hey, Bubba, how you doing? Hey, it's Monday. I'm ready to go. <laughs> glad, glad of it. All right, man. Uh, hey, we got a we got a great show for you. Several uh, callers here. Uh, topics that I think are going to be right up front. Um, and uh, and I'm noticing, by the way, that Brian from Huntsville already texted in something about maple bacon apple fritters. I'm I'm oh, I'm going to check that text out in a minute. Hey, uh, here's the show for today. So at three o'clock today. Uh, there's a, a topic that I'm just, just, it makes me mad, man. And so we got, uh, I reached out to somebody who I follow on Twitter, who I've, I've known a bit in Montgomery, uh, Jamie Harding. She's the, uh, uh assistant director of communications for the, uh, Alabama association for the American association of retired persons, the AARP of Alabama. So she's going to be on with at three o'clock because there is a huge spike right now going on in scams against the elderly. I mean, it's just to me, unconscionable. But I'm gonna, we're going to hear directly from someone who um, has information about it on a regular basis. Uh, Jamie Harding, AARP of Alabama, three o'clock today. You're not going to want to miss that call. I got some personal insights on some of that too. Yeah, so there's that. Then four o'clock today, uh, Stephanie Smith, uh, our friend who uh, has the Thatcher Coalition, the consulting firm where she does quite a bit of work. She's worked in both federal and state politics. She and I are going to be on together to talk about some of the machinations going on at both the state and federal level, which go right into our triple dipper. So hit that. The triple dipper, three stories you've got to know. That's right. The triple dipper, three stories, three themes, if you will, that you have got to know as we run today's show. So yeah, number one on the show, scams and shams. So yeah, Jamie Harding's calling in at three. We're going to be talking about this trend towards um, more and more, uh, exploit exploitation of the elderly in our society. And don't think, by the way, that it's somewhere else. It's right here in your community. It's right here. I've already experienced uh, two or three uh, episodes with elderly folks in my uh, personal um, you know, sphere. And so I'm just going to tell you, it's, it's real. It's a big deal. It was $1.7 billion in scamage last year against the elderly. That's number one, scams and shams. Number two, house rules, state and federal. So here's the thing. We've got new House rules going into place in D.C. potentially today because Kevin McCarthy was elected the Speaker of the House late Friday night, early Saturday morning. I stayed up and watched it. Um, and then at the same time, in Montgomery, we got a leaked copy of proposed new House rules that are going to change the way they do things down there. And not everybody's on board with this. So we'll talk about it. Number two on the Triple Dipper, House rules, state and federal. And then number three, Border chaos. Charlene and I were talking and she's given me a couple ideas for parts of the triple dipper because I'm telling you right now, my wife is more savvy about politics than I am. Most of the time. And, uh, and so number three on the triple dipper today is actually coming straight from her. Border chaos. What we are seeing right now at our southern border, the fact that the president of the United States made about a three hour visit finally after two years. Um, and the actual war that's going on between the cartels and the Mexican government. I'm telling you. 
it is unbelievable what's happening on the southern border and just south of it. So we're going to cover that, number three on the triple dipper, border chaos. All right, that's the show laid out for you today. Let me uh, jump over to my comment. Um, and I'll be honest with you, I'm going to start off with a zinger. You ready? Uh, yeah, so I got shot a few years ago. And I got your attention, didn't I? No joke, I was shot in the leg at a gun range. I was literally just feet away, and I watched the guy turn around with a loaded shotgun, and I could still see the blast coming out the barrel as he had what the Army would call a negligent discharge. I was shooting sporting clays with some friends, and one of the men in front of me at the shooting station was shooting a 20-gauge over-under shotgun. He fired one round of the clays, and I guess he forgot that he had loaded two. So he literally turned around, and I'll never forget this. He goes, well, I missed that one. Bam! And I went down. I'm very keen on gun safety. You know, always use good muzzle discipline. Keep that barrel up and down range until you've cleared the weapon. Treat every firearm like it's loaded and ready. And even when you know it's unloaded, you never sweep a person with the working end of the gun, ever. But like I said, I was conscious of gun safety, which explains, I guess, why as he turned around, I immediately focused my sights on the barrel of the shotgun, but too late. Like I said, I can still see the cloud, the wad, and the shot rushing out the end of the barrel from literally just three feet away. Now, the... Saving grace in that incident was that his barrel was just low enough to where I only caught some of the blast in my leg. The rest of my injuries came from the ricochet where the full effect of the blast took out a chunk of concrete literally an inch from my left foot and then scattered up into my boot, my left foot, and my lower leg. So yeah, surgery followed by several months of therapy and I was finally able to jog again. But many times I have thought that if this barrel had been just a mere half inch higher when he hit that trigger, that I might actually be wearing a prosthetic leg right now. I mean, literally three feet away. So who was this guy? Was he a knucklehead? Was he some dude that I got stuck shooting with some range time? No, not at all. He was an esteemed older gentleman that I've known for years. He's passed away now, but his son, who was also there that day, is still a good friend of mine. It was a bad case of friendly fire. It was a moment in time that cannot be taken back. It was a brief interlude into regrettable act of carelessness, and there were injuries. The lesson learned sides. Well, let's flip that script now. Let me take the idea of a negligent discharge of something you shouldn't have done, that you shouldn't have said, that you shouldn't have acted upon, and talk about it in the political realm. Well, this past Friday night and into Saturday morning, I totally geeked out, man. I watched the votes on the floor of the House live on TV to witness the coming together of all the wrangling and the negotiations to see Congressman Kevin McCarthy elected to Speaker of the House for the 118th Congress. I wrote a piece that came out this morning on 1819 News and is going to run in various other news outlets throughout the week on why I believe that last week's debate was the epitome of what's supposed to happen in a free and elected body of representatives. I mean, there was hand-wringing and negotiation and moments of tension, but that's the way it should be. It was debate. It was horse trading. It was the way our founders intended the legislative branch to be. And in the end, it worked out. And I believe that the conservative position in Congress is now much stronger because of it. But the fact is, there apparently was some harm done. There were a few individuals who not only hurt their own reputation, but the fallout from their friendly fire is still happening. Just like my friend now being known as the guy who shot me on the range and the fact that I had to go through months of surgery and rehab, there has been some damage to the Republican caucus, but it might not be what you expect. And oh, by the way, we're going to feel it here in Alabama. The fallout that I'm talking about, it relates directly to a member of Alabama's congressional delegation. Well, first off, before I get to Alabama, there's GOP Representative Dan Crenshaw. 
the former Navy SEAL and Purple Heart recipient from Texas let his emotions get the better of him in what would have to be considered some poor muzzle discipline. He popped off at the mouth one too many times, and he literally chose to refer to members of his own parties in the most derisive of terms. Saying things to the press like they need to shut the blank up and calling his peers political terrorists did nothing for the negotiation process. And truthfully, it did nothing for his reputation among members of his own caucus. Over the weekend, I watched as Crenshaw tried to explain it away and act like it was nothing. But just this morning, as the House convened in its organizational gathering to approve new chairmanships, Republican Mark Green, a conservative member of the Freedom Caucus from Tennessee, beat out Dan Crenshaw in a vote of his own caucus to become the next chairman of the House Committee on Homeland Security. Now, Texas, where Crenshaw's from, Texas is a border state. And Crenshaw's position as chairman of DHS, well, that would have been significant for that state in his bid to secure the southern border. But the prevailing thought is that Crenshaw's attacks on his fellow Republicans served to disenfranchise him in the running for the position. It was friendly fire. It was a negligent discharge. And it backfired on him. But then there is our own Alabama senior congressman, Mike Rogers. Now, international news was made, and you've probably seen the pictures, as cameras show Alabama's delegation member, a senior member of Congress, who is next in line, by the way, to be chairman of the powerful House Armed Services Committee, having to literally be restrained as he threatened and pointed at Congressman Matt Gates for not voting for McCarthy. It, it was ugly. I don't know if it would have come to blows or not. I would hope not. And we don't know to what extent Gates may have had it coming, but in a heated and somewhat uncontrolled moment, Rogers lost his cool. And as a result, he lost part of his standing in the body. Added to that is the fact that Rogers was known to have threatened other members of the Freedom Caucus earlier in the week with the loss of their committee assignments if they didn't get on board with the McCarthy election. Now, you may wonder, why would he make such threats? Well, maybe because he was a member of the GOP steering committee. That's the senior leadership of Congress where he was the representative for the Tennessee-Alabama region. And that committee is the one that makes the committee assignments. Yep. And this morning, the news broke right before I went on the air that Alabama's representative Mike Rogers is going to be resigning this week from the steering committee, meaning that key influence for Alabama may have been lost if we cannot get another one of our current delegation members on the committee to replace him. That's two episodes of friendly fire on the floor of the House. That's two members who knew better. That's two negligent discharges that brought ramifications because they could not execute their mission with more professionalism. And it may have been a singular moment in time, but it's one that both men are likely regretting. So yeah, don't be that guy. Keep that barrel up and down range, men, at all times. It'll save everyone a lot of pain and discomfort later on. And that's a wrap for the Right Side Way. Yeah, so there we are. Congressman Mike Rogers resigning from a very powerful position, the one that would have allowed him the opportunity to make committee assignments. And who knows, how would that have benefited Alabama? At the very least, Alabama would have been registered as one having clout. And now the senior guy is having to resign from that position. Why? Because he abused his rights in the position. And then Dan Crenshaw, what a loss, man. But you know what? Gain for Tennessee. And I know Mark Green briefly. I met him at a, a Club for Growth Foundation meeting. I like the guy. I think he's spot on. So, hooray for Tennessee. Dan Crenshaw, get your act together. All right, folks, Phil Williams, Right Side Radio. Y'all stay tuned. We will be right back.
And we are back. Phil Williams, Right Side Radio, covering all of North Alabama, solid, conservative, and just plain right. Saving the world one soundbite at a time. Got a bunch of text messages in already. If you want to text in or call in for that matter, the number is the same for both. 833-687-4448. That's 833-68-RIGHT. That's the, that's the number you can. What, what you got, man? Did you read some of these text messages? I, I saw a couple. <laughs> there, there were a couple on there. And one of them was from uh, Juan from Newmarket. He said, oh, you were Dick Cheney. <laughs> Didn't somebody else call that? <laughs> and then that Brian called in from Huntsville. Oh, said, oh, I didn't God. know that Phil was uh, friends with Dick Cheney. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Dick Cheney goes out there on a bird hunting expedition what uh, about what 10 12 years ago and literally shoots one of his compadres on the uh, out on the range. Oh, man. Uh, of course that time I think he he filled his face with bird shot. I I I'm, if I got to get shot, I guess uh, bird shot in the ankle is better than yeah, uh, it was so. I mean, I got all okay. So I got all the Dick Cheney Dick Cheney jokes. Do you get that a lot? Uh, every time I bring the story up, yes, every <laughs> single time. And then the other one though that I got multiple times was um, they would say something like, uh, "So uh, you like did a year in Iraq and a year in Afghanistan and you got shot in Ohatchee, Alabama?" Yes, yes I did. <laughs> yes I did. You're like, yep, that's about right. Don't know what else to tell you. There it was. The crazy thing was when I got to the hospital. Um, yeah, I, you know, I, I've got a bunch of friends who are in the medical profession. I called one of them while I was in route, and uh, he's <laughs> he's a surgeon. He's like. You've been shot. I'll meet you there. Which hospital are you going to? I told him. And and he, he said, who's your orthopedist? And I told him. And because, uh, like, all the things that got broken on me have been fixed by the same doc. So, you know, I, anyway, um, uh, I show up at the hospital. It's like the president's been shot. I got the ER doc. The guy who <laughs> shot me is a doc. Yeah. Uh, the uh, the guy who I called is there. The orthopedist who he asked who it was is there. And a friend of mine who was an anesthesiologist is there. I had five doctors convassing upon me. And there was some sweet little old lady behind a curtain waiting for the third hour to see somebody. Oh, no. And I'm just, I'm getting bum rushed by all these doctors. What's going on? How's he doing? Anyway, it was, it was a hoot. It was a hoot slash it, you got it, got it through okay. Prefer not to repeat it. Correct. Yes. That would, that would be a very I would, good I would prefer not to repeat the process. <laughs> and I don't even want to say, you know, it's just one of those learning experiences that I'm glad I have. No. 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 <laughs> how, about, how about I understood before it happened that it was a bad thing. Um, okay. Uh, Sheila from Madison just texted in and said, your monologue was spot on today. The behavior of those two men was inappropriate and should have consequences. When you're a leader, you need to be better and set the example. Sheila, you are so right. Thank you so much. And I hate the idea that we may have lost a position of influence uh, for the state of Alabama with Mike Rogers. Um, uh, Daniel from Tullahoma takes real issue with Representative Dan Crenshaw, and uh, you know, and, and I'll, I'll be honest with you. So, Daniel from Tullahoma, I, I, I understand your sentiments here. He's basically commenting about um, the fact that he was in the Navy and whether he's disgraced his service. And I can't, I can't go there. I'm not going there. I mean, the man's a Purple Heart recipient, lost an eye as a Navy SEAL. No, not not saying the wrong thing about somebody in civilian life does not in any way discredit his years of service. So Daniel, I'm not going down on that one. That's uh, I, I, I have to differ with you, brother. Um, and then uh, John from Huntsville, <laughs> John, John literally just texted. He said, have you ever done a quadruple dipper after all with all, with God, all things are possible. And then, <laughs> and then he follows up and goes, okay, now that I know you've been shot in the leg, I feel really bad about giving you a hard time on the triple dipper. <laughs> oh, well, I wasn't doing it for sympathy here, Brother John, but uh, 
Anyway, text lines are open. Text us your feedback. Text us your sarcasm. We'll, we'll, we'll do what we can with both. Uh, Allie from Athens has texted in, too, and said, um, is it, I don't know what you're saying to me, Allie. Is it uh, hoots? I don't know what that means. But <laughs> anyway, it was wrong. Um, and, you know, we used to have to, and Allie can probably rec- recognize this because she spent all that time in Baghdad, but we used to have to go to the clearing barrels where you walk through into the gate of uh, any fob. You had to clear your weapon so you're not walking around with a round in the chamber. And uh, there was always somebody who'd forget how to clear a weapon right. Um, and I've got some stories about that, too. Luckily, nobody got shot that I know of uh, at the clearing barrels. Um, all right, we got a full show for you. So coming up here in just a minute, we're going to jump right into number one of the Triple Dipper, Scams and Shams, and Top of the Hour, I've got Jamie Harding calling in. She's uh, the Assistant Director of Communications for the state of Alabama for the AARP. I called her because um, Jamie, I follow her on Twitter. Uh, she's actually pretty funny. Uh, most of her stuff is, is personal on Twitter. But she she is, I, I have since discovered, since I asked her to come on the show, she has been the spokesperson around the state of Alabama for the, um, you know, the questions about, uh, elderly um, abuse when it comes to finances and, and scams and shams that have been perpetrated upon the elderly citizens, not just of our state, but of the nation. There's been a dramatic increase in the last few years, and it's sad. And, and they, they prey upon people who are lonely. They prey upon people who are vulnerable. They prey upon and they, and they know it. That's what's so maddening is they know ex- they're not, it's not like they accidentally stumbled. They, they sit around and think, okay, who's the neediest person we can find who might have some money? And let's go trick them. Let's go play with their emotions. Let's go hose them for the rest of their retired life uh, and, and, and make them feel like they're doing the right thing when really all they're doing is sending money to Nigeria or, for that matter, to some scammer down the street. Uh, it's sad. So, yeah, we're going to talk about scams and shams because, like I said, there's been a massive increase. Technology is part of the reason. But the other part is I think our society is becoming more prone to it, and we got to stop it. Phil Williams, Right Side Radio. You guys stay tuned. We'll be right back. to Right Side Radio, solid, conservative, just plain right. And we are back. Phil Williams, Right Side Radio, solid, conservative, and 
just plain right. If you were watching the video just then, you got to see that the, my microphone apparently is a crew-served microphone. <laughs> it took two of us to figure out how to get the uh, mic stand back in place because it I was I just realized back. that the, it was on the, the wide screen, or, you know, the wide angle, so you could see the whole studio. So we're both looking at this <laughs> yeah. microphone, like, figuring it out. Here's one for you. How many right-side ruffians does it take to manage a microphone? <laughs> well, apparently at least two in this studio. Um, yeah, we got, but I, by the way, Boomer, I am still enjoying my new mic. Oh, it sounds good. I'm j- just smooth. <laughs> smooth. Smooth. I just sound like a crooner. <laughs> um, hey, uh, yeah. Hey, by the way, I'll, I'll jump onto one question real quick. Uh, I, I got a, I got a request for someone to explain. James from Harvest asked a question. He says, can you explain what a whip is? And he, he mentions a whip committee, which is uh, I think what he means is a whip for a committee. But anyway, the bottom line is this. If you're not familiar, you hear about the House whip, the Senate whip, or the caucus whip. Um, that is usually the designation of a person who's been assigned to make sure they know what the vote counts are and to try and get people to vote a certain way if possible. So the House whip, uh, the GOP House whip is going to be the person who the caucus leader has designated um, to be the person in charge of gathering up the vote. So when you hear about McCarthy counting his votes or whipping his votes. What that means is they've got someone uh, who is you know, there to make sure that they know before they go to the floor where they stand, if at all possible. And, you know, they, they did 15 votes. It wasn't like they didn't know. Now, I will say this. I don't think they knew how bad it was the first time. I think number two through about 13, they knew exactly where they were. They were just continuing the process because that's part of it. And then the last two, you could tell there was a gaffe. Uh, if you were watching it like me late on a Friday night, um, there was the, uh, the moment where it looked like everybody was surprised because they thought they had it going into number 14. And Matt Gates voted present, but his present wasn't enough to kick it over like an abstention. His, it wasn't enough. So they literally had to go and get the whips, uh, the, the, the votes whipped again and double check and make sure everybody was still in place. That's part of it too is attendance. Is everybody here? Before we go to the floor, we got everybody? Where do they stand? What's the Freedom Caucus doing? How do we feel about this one? If we add the amendment, what does that do to the bill? And these, the whips are supposed to gather up all that data. It's like the intel officer. If you're a military guy, the whip is like the intel officer. They're the ones giving you all the intel on what to expect when you get to the House floor. And hopefully, they're also like a combination of an intel officer and the uh, sergeant major kicking everybody in line. Uh, so there, I hope, uh, uh, James, great question. Hope I explained it for you. Um, and by the way, it's a very key position. If you've got a good whip, if you've got somebody who knows how to assess, cajole, report accurately and timely, and, you know, be somebody who can have the respect of the body so they won't try to, you know, tell him one thing and do another, uh, you don't, we don't want to cross the whip too often. If you tell a guy, hey, I'm, I'm voting yes or yes, or I'm voting no, uh, and you get to the floor and change your vote without telling him, I'm not saying that you, you wind up getting punished, but what I'm saying is you lose the respect of those you're, you're with, uh, and it doesn't work out well for you. All right, listen, we're going to jump over to topic number one on the Triple Dipper, scams and shams. So let me, let me, let me tell you, part of, here's, I've been thinking about doing this for a while, and then Charlene and I, uh, we usually try to pick like one show on TV, this, we call it our show, and, uh, and for a while there, we realized we had never seen Blue Bloods a few years ago. We caught up with Blue Bloods and realized not only do we love this show, but we had like eight seasons that we hadn't ever seen. So we got a chance to just kind of watch at our leisure eight seasons. Well, now we're to the point where 
well, we, you know, we're just gonna have to watch whatever happens on Friday night. <laughs> but I still believe that's one of the best shows on TV, man. It's about honor. It's about integrity. It's about service. It's about family. It's about uh, duty over self. Um, great show. Love, love Blue Bloods. I like Tom Selleck as an actor anyway. This past Friday night, one of the subplots within the overall show was the elder patriarch of the family finding out that one of his uh, older retired neighbors had been scammed. Someone had called and said that her house owed back taxes and that she had to make payments immediately, but they wouldn't take cash. They couldn't take cash. Ma'am, you got to do something. And they, and, they, and they wound up, believe it or not, taking gift cards. Well, this sound, you look at it and go, okay, who's going to do that? It happens all the time. And by the way, some of these are sophisticated, sophisticated to the point that you can't tell they're not real. Uh, and I had an experience with this. So I am the conservator for an elderly woman um, uh, in my area. Uh, I am I'm basically the guardian of her finances. And I got a call from her family one day. They said, we just got a call, said the power bill is being turned off. What do you mean it's being turned off? They said it's for non-payment. What do you mean non-payment? Well, the immediate thought I had was, it's on a Saturday, was, oh my gosh, at my office, we must have missed a payment somehow because we, we pay all of our bills. So I went into, you know, holy crap mode. And they gave me the number and I called and I got a person and I got a recording and I got an answering service that sounded just like I was calling Alabama Power. I mean, it routed me through their call system until I got someone who then worked me through the issue and then told me that, uh, yes, I, I could make the bill current today, but I had to do it by today because the cutoff notice, uh, it was like the third notice they said, well, I'd never seen the notice. Huh. And then I began to realize as he wanted me to pay the bill that the best way to pay it was at the kiosk. Well, Alabama Power does have kiosks. Outside of their offices, a lot of times you pay at a kiosk. If you just walk up during the weekend, you can use a credit card like an ATM, and you can pay your power bill. It's an Alabama Power kiosk. Except when I drove to the address he gave me for the kiosk, I realized it wasn't the Alabama Power office. It was a gas station. And I looked at it, and I thought, okay, now what's happening? And I walked inside. This is last year, y'all. And I walked inside and looked at the guy at the counter and I said, I know this is going to sound like a crazy question, but do you guys pay power bills here? And he goes, what? And I said, I'm just saying, do you guys pay power bills here? No, sir. Do you have an ATM? Yes, sir. And he pointed to it. And there it was, an electronic ATM, where you can also do wire transfers, by the way. And yep, this guy was trying to send me to a random gas station ATM. And folks, I'm going to tell you, I pulled out at that point. I called Alabama Power. I reported what was happening. I made sure they knew. And then we discovered that, oh, her bill was current anyway because my office had indeed paid the bill. And Alabama Power assured me they don't make phone calls like this. And, oh, by the way, they would never just cut off someone's power like that, especially that was in the heat of the summer, especially during the hot months because they know what it can mean. All that to say, that was a scam on an elderly woman. And it's a good thing that I was there Number one, to intervene and to hear how legit it sounded. And then to be able to take action to try and turn these people over. It got to the point the guy was texting me because I was on my cell phone. He was texting me, sir, have you arrived at the station yet? Uh, we can go ahead and arrange payment now. Here's the amount of the bill, and you'll need to use this account number, yada, yada, yada. And I texted back, and I said, one word, scammer. And I never heard from him again. Um. This happens every single day. Story here on Fox News. And by the way, this happened 
in a different way to my grandmother. My grandmother has passed away now. I'll never forget my mom was helping care for my grandmother in her latter years. And my mom was shocked to find out one day she went over to, to check on grandma, but living in an assisted living facility, you know, had her own apartment there and all that, and, and, and found something that indicated that my grandmother had just been called by a magazine subscription service, and they, and, and, and in her late 80s, mid-80s, they signed her up for a six-year subscription to multiple magazines. It was hundreds of dollars on her credit card. And my mom said she about hit the roof. I don't blame her. So sometimes it's official, and they shouldn't have done it. And sometimes it's pure scam, and they definitely shouldn't have done it. Fox News, story that came out just a couple of months ago. FBI raises the flag on elder fraud after thousands of retirees are scammed out of $1.7 billion, with a B, billion. By the way, that's not an estimate. The Federal Bureau of Investigation, the FBI, has raised the flag on precipitous rise in elder fraud claims in recent years. According to their 2021 Internet Crime Complaint Center, there were over 92,000 victims who lost $1.7 billion to elder fraud schemes. The losses were a 74% increase over the just a few years before. 74% increase, $1.7 billion. And that's just the victims they know about. Ain't nobody knows how many went without it being told. It says, on the average, victims lost over $18,000 each. More than 3,000 victims lost $100,000 each. That's money that's taken from them. The FBI claims there was less than $400 million uh, in total losses back in 2017, and now it's $1.7 billion just a few years later. What the heck? They give you some stories here. Like one guy, an older gentleman who had been a very successful contractor, built a big business and got to retire comfortably in his latter years, but he was a widower and he was lonely and he began uh, talking to a lady online. And I'll just tell you the story briefly, just paraphrase it here. He began talking and they developed this relationship over time with a woman named Mary, who the scammers had developed the personality to fit his profile. She had a background that identified. They began to talk back and forth. And this went on for a period of time. In other words, they didn't just rush in there and try to get a power bill cut off. They saw a target and they developed it, man. And it got to the point that the article says they used his loneliness. And she began asking for money. And then at one point she was overseas and couldn't get a ticket home and needed more money. And next thing you know, he's transferring upwards of $40,000 a time to pay for her medical bills and things that she said she needed. Over time, her family, his family found out that he had transferred up to $750,000 to a fake account. And you can imagine how he felt when he realized what had happened. Other stories that I've got here, I mean, it, it, it just it boggles the mind. And it just, it, just, it just pisses me off, to be honest with you. One lady got a call very simply, Publisher's Clearinghouse, letting her know that she was the big winner for the year. She had to pay the taxes up front in order to claim her car and her million-dollar prize. Um, and the amount would be, and I've forgotten how much, but it was somewhere around $200,000 total she wound up paying in order to collect what she thought was going to be a million dollars in a new car. Never saw it. Never saw it. Bless her heart. And you hear some of this and you go, okay, come on. They should know better. I'm telling you, that guy from Malapow Power had me fooled for a bit. I thought the lady was about to have her power turned off. They thought She's about to have her power turned off. They even had a return call that when you call back, it had all the same. Because when I called Alabama Power the real number later, I got a very similar answering service. 
Wow. Well, this is all happening around us. I've got stories here from Alabama. In a few minutes, we're going to talk to uh, uh, Jamie Harding from the AARP. Folks, I'm telling you, we have got to not only be vigilant for ourselves, we have got to make sure that the elder members of our family and our neighbors and our friends and folks at church, we've got to make sure that we caution them and, for that matter, check in on them and make sure things are okay. Don't just assume for a second that that checkbook that they can't find is just misplaced in a drawer somewhere. Because I could tell you stories about that family that I'm the conservator for and how literally we're still finding checks showing up for fraud sometime afterwards. All right, Boomer, I'm mad now. Take me to a break. <laughs> Listen, I got more on this. This is a real deal topic. And I've got stories from right here in Alabama. Folks, we've got to watch out for this. Scams and shams, number one of the Triple Dipper. We'll be right back. back. Phil Williams, Right Side Radio, solid conservative, just plain right, making it cool to be a conservative. Hey, um, I just got a text back, James from Harvest. I appreciate you, man. Uh, he, uh, I, I did that answer about what a whip is on the House floor, and he says, you explained it like I knew you would. And by the way, Blue Bloods is an amazing show. <laughs> yes, it is. Um, and then uh, Jeremy from Huntsville just texted in. And talking about, it says, when it takes comes to taking advantage of the elderly, it's going to take breaking some good, bad habits, like leaving your doors unlocked, putting money between the mattress, or offering a stranger a ride. It says, we need to warn our young and, and elderly, and step up if you're in the Goldilocks zone of not being vulnerable in order to help preserve hospitality. That's, that's, a, great, that's a great text. Um, thank you, Jeremy. Appreciate you. Uh, so, yeah, back on this topic. Um, and and, and I'm, I'm going to tell you, some of this stuff comes from right here in Alabama. Uh, I got one story here. Um, Oh, where'd it go? Reaching the wrong part of my stack. Yeah, here's one. AL.com reports just about a year ago, $166,000 recovered, which, by the way, they don't often recover it. So that's a that's good doings. In Madison County, Sheriff uh, Kevin Turner in Madison County uh, said they arrested a guy named Kino DeAndre Roper, 26, currently being held in the Madison County Jail at that point, um, charged with three counts of first-degree theft by deception. Um that, that basically authorities in Madison County had been alerted to a elder abuse scam where people received calls from someone claiming to be a lawyer seeking money for bail or legal fees. Um, and so, yeah, that's one of the scams, by the way. Very common. You get a call saying you you find out that there's a, a person in the family who's the ne'er-do-well, but they they love their grandma. Well, next thing you know, grandma gets targeted. Hey, your ne'er-do-well son, I'm his lawyer. Uh, he's in jail. Nobody else in the family will talk to him. And uh, we need some money for bail so I can get him out, and uh, and we'll 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 work with you from there on. And they think they're bailing out their their beloved grandson who's got trouble, and no, they're getting scammed. Um, it's 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 just awful. Um, it's another phishing scam that came up just in uh, this story came out of uh, Rochester, Minnesota, uh, October of this past year. Uh, a cable TV company, in that case, it's Charter Spectrum, called a uh, a, a lady by the name of Jean David 
promising her a savings of 35% off her Spectrum bill with a senior discount. Only catch is they don't offer a senior discount. What they're really trying to do is get information from her to get her social security number so they can open an account in her name and, and you know, pill for money otherwise. So they do this. Sometimes it's fishing for information. Sometimes it's fishing for the actual money. I've got a list here of the top scams, but I'll hold that one till for, for a minute. Uh, I will tell you this, though. Uh, there's a Mobile woman who was arrested just last month. Mobile woman arrested just last month, according to Fox 10 TV down in Mobile, Police investigating complaints of a scam traced payments to an address on Basil Street and in, in, uh, charged a woman there with financial exploitation of an elderly person. Um, probable cause was found. Turns out that um, she had uh, been one of those scamming people on the means by which they could get their sweepstakes winnings, but they had to pay the taxes up front. Doesn't work that way, y'all. It doesn't. You can't be taxed on what you don't have. I'll just tell you. If, if, you get a, if you get a call saying, yeah, pay the taxes up front so you can go ahead and have to no, know, it doesn't work that way. Um, the, the, the monies from a prize like that are not going to be taxed up front. They're going to be taxed in arrears, meaning you can't be taxed on what you've never owned. Um, so there's, there's that. I mean, I got, I got just, it's just piles of it. I do love this one, though. This is righteous. January of last year. Officials on Long Island are alerting people to elderly scams after a 73-year-old woman helped police outwit a group of would-be fraudsters. Yep, this lady got a call from someone claiming to be a lawyer for her grandson asking for $8,000 for bail. She didn't buy it, so she called the police. The police encouraged her to go ahead and proceed with the scam, and they came over and stayed in her house. When the man came to pick up the money, she handed over an empty envelope, and the officers inside, it says, waited till that moment and then jumped into action. Everything was captured on the woman's home security camera. You can watch the arrest uh, uh, online. So I saw it. Um, and it's, 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 it's listed as being very important to talk to your family members about these potential scams. Uh, I got a caller on the line, bud. I'm sorry. I just realized. Uh, line one, Brian from Huntsville. Brian, how you doing? Uh, mighty fine. And everything, all of a sudden that uh, cops, bad boys, bad boys, what you got to do comes back to my head. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But, uh, uh, but from that point, it happened to me this morning, and it was not a scam. It was just actually, they didn't call me, they texted me, credit union. So I look through, and what I tell everybody else, and what I do is I tell somebody when they call me, I say that, uh, can you give me a valid callback number and a, an address to where I can mail you? I usually end up with getting a click. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. My, I, I, I totally agree. My favorite reply used to be for the longest time. Uh, we don't take, um, we don't take solicitations over the phone. You're welcome to mail something to me and I'll take a look at it. At which point I would rarely get the mail. Um, but yeah, you're right, Brian. I mean, t t tell them right there on the spot. You just don't do that over the phone. Absolutely. Hey, Brent, appreciate you, you man. Have a great day. Goodbye. All right. Coming back up right now, we're going to go take a break and come back with Jamie Harden from the AARP of Alabama. She's got some information on this and some of the things that we're seeing and what the recommendations of the AARP are. We got we got to stop this man, a 74% increase in elderly exploitation. Phil Williams, Right Side Radio. We'll be right back.
right side ruffians out there, you are listening to Right Side Radio, solid conservative, just plain right. You're listening live to Right Side Radio with Phil Williams. It's hard to go wrong when you're on the right side. Right Side Radio, solid, conservative, and just plain right. Alabama's syndicated news talk leader, Right Side Radio. Phil Williams here live in the Right Side studios for hour number two already. Local, state, national, man, we cover down on all the issues. And like the dude just said, solid, conservative, and just plain right. Well, I spent the last 20 minutes or more uh, talking about something that uh, I have seen happen in my own family. Uh, I called this whole segment of the show Scams and Shams, and, and that is not meant at all to be a lighthearted title. This is outrageous that we have a 74% increase in the the number of scams against the elderly in our society. $1.7 billion in losses, uh, some of which are very sophisticated scams and some of which just happen, you know, seemingly randomly and quickly. All the same, it's bad, no matter which way it went. Uh, That being said, um, despite me talking about it and having my own thoughts, I I knew there was other people out there that are experts in this field. And there's somebody I follow on Twitter quite often. Jamie Harding is the director of communications for the AARP of Alabama. And and I and I noticed the AARP has quite a bit to say about this topic. And I just I just sent her a message said, "Would you come on the show?" So without further ado, I am pleased to welcome on uh, Jamie Harding for the AARP. Jamie, how are you doing? I'm doing well, Phil. Thanks for inviting me. Absolutely. Well, thank you. Well, listen this this topic just really just to me is is just it's heinous. It's one of those things that you look at and think, "How can somebody prey upon the most vulnerable in our society like this?" And they do it intentionally. But uh, give me your thoughts. What are y'all seeing and what can be done? Well, this is uh, a topic that always rises to the top when we survey our members. You know, we have about 38 million members across the country, about 420,000 here in Alabama. And this is always at the top or near the top of their list of concerns. And really, it's because they are targeted at such a high rate. And so uh, we have put a lot of resources into this. Uh, the best way to, to manage this kind of problem is with education. So that's why I think it's so great that you're having this topic today on your show, uh, because prevention is really, really critical in these situations. Well, it, it is. And, you know, some of that, I, I told some of the stories a while ago that I've picked up and some that I've experienced with family members and with an elderly woman who I'm also the conservator for. And uh, mm-hmm. you look at it and think, wow, I mean, why didn't you see it coming? But then again, Part of the storyline that I told a while ago, one of them was so sophisticated with a power bill being turned off that it had me going for a while. I mean, it's not like there's yeah. anybody who, you know, can can just see every single one of these and, and claim that's fake. So there's got to be some parameters. You've got to be able to warn people. You've also got to be able to have some good, solid best practices in place for your household. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, one of the things that we have seen is a, a, a great, like, triple-digit uptick in scams, uh, especially social engineering scams, as we call them, over the course of the pandemic. And one of the reasons these uh, these kinds of scams have been so prolific is because people have been more isolated. 
Uh, we've uh, had a lot of older folks, of course, who are at higher risk from getting sick with COVID, uh, at home more, spending more time alone. Uh, for a, a long time, a lot of them weren't getting out to their churches. That social isolation problem, it's a huge health problem, and we knew about that yeah. before the pandemic. But when the pandemic hit, it really, really ratcheted up the problem. And truthfully, the, the cyber criminals, they pay attention to the headlines, yeah. just like everyone else does. And they look for ways to take advantage of those headlines. So some of the things that we've seen a lot of is uh, romance scams ticking upwards. Uh, people are lonely. People are, are isolated. So if someone reaches out to them, uh, and oftentimes it comes through Facebook, which uh, Facebook's user base is getting older and older, and they find information about these people, and they see someone who looks like they might be vulnerable. And so, uh, you know, they reach out to them on, on uh, private messages on Facebook. I, I actually personally know a gentleman, uh, older gentleman, who uh, lost $150,000 oh. in, yeah. in a scam like that on Facebook. It was horrifying. Mm. Um, and unfortunately, once that money is gone, oftentimes these scams are being perpetrated from outside the United States. Yeah. Uh, it, it, they may look like, they may sound like they're from inside the country, but they're not. And and so once that money is gone, tracking it down and getting it back is nearly impossible. So that's why we talk about prevention being so important. And also being very, very conscious, if, if you're on social media, if you're on Facebook especially, being very conscious of your privacy, keeping your information private on Facebook, because scammers will run through Facebook, continually looking for people who they might be able to target. And the more personal information that you have that is available to the public on Facebook, is it, it, it puts you more at risk. Um, well, if they can see who your family is and that sort of thing. Well, I would imagine, too, that, and you mentioned the, the, the pandemic era with people being more isolated and away from family and friends and their social networks. I would imagine that there were a lot of people uh, in the older generation who discovered the use of social media, maybe for the first time, because that was their means of connectivity. But that also just basically opened them up to not being as aware of what can happen in the cyber world because they weren't as familiar before they signed on for the first time. And um, Exactly. You know, some of the things I know that are out there, too, is uh, basically if someone asks you for money, like, for instance, Medicare, one of the Medicare fraud, open enrollment time, you got to sign up now, we need your deposit, or... Um, or, you know, somebody offering a credit card deal. Or for that matter, I saw one the other night on a TV show. This is what sparked this for me. Uh, Blue Bloods did a scene where someone was told that their property taxes hadn't been paid and they were at risk of losing their home. And, um, mm-hmm. and these things come across very sophisticated, but none of those networks will typically call you and ask for money over the phone. That is true. That is very true. We do a lot of uh, fraud education during the open enrollment period in the fall, because of that, because there's, you know, they, the, the criminals pay attention to the calendar. They know when open enrollment is, um, and they know how to try to take advantage. So uh, they'll offer any kind of, of, of a deal or special, uh, you know, if you give us a fee, we can sign you up for extra benefits. You know, they want to get access to your personal identification information, like your Social Security number or your Medicare uh, card number. And they also want to get your bank account information so that they can steal your money. So there are a lot of different ways that they can approach you. But the one thing I I want people to really understand, and we're seeing an uptick also in Social Security scams 
related to the increased uh, benefit that folks are getting as of January now. Yeah. Uh, we had a record uh, increase in the cost of living adjustment for Social Security due to all the high inflation. So uh, scammers are trying to take advantage of that thing, calling people and saying, you know, uh, if, if, if you don't pay a fee, you're not going to get that benefit. Uh, they'll make up something something and try to pressure people into giving them money and giving them their bank information in order to get benefits that are already owed to them and accrued to them. They don't, nobody has to pay anybody from Social Security anything yeah. to get those benefits. So, And the other thing we want people to know is that it's very easy for a, a scammer to spoof uh, a government agency on your caller ID. It could say Social Security Administration on your caller ID. It could say Medicare on your caller ID uh, or some other seemingly legitimate entity. And but it's very easy to do that, uh, to, to fake that ID and then convince you that, that you should give them what they're looking for. But one of the other things we want people to know is that the Social Security is never going to call you on the phone. Yeah. Uh, they're, they're, you're going to initiate contact with them. If they need to reach you, they'll send you a letter through the mail. Same thing with Medicare. They'll send you a letter through the mail. The, the United States government doesn't communicate by calling people on the phone. Well, let me ask you this. Uh, before we run out of time, we got about two or three minutes left. Um, it, within the state of Alabama, how are our state laws? Are, is, is there anything that the legislature needs to be addressing? I know our state attorney general has been uh, actively engaged in this uh, as well, but um, tell me what you see or don't see within the boundaries of the state of Alabama that might be beneficial. Well, one of the things that we do a lot of work on every legislative session is uh, elder abuse, uh, and that includes elder financial abuse. So we're constantly looking for ways to strengthen those laws, to, uh, and, and we had some very significant improvement in those laws over the last several years where things that used to be misdemeanors are now felonies and that sort of thing. Um, so we want to make sure that the penalties fit the crimes uh, that are being perpetrated. So, And to give prosecutors and law enforcement more tools to work with so that they can help protect older adults. Um, sadly, too many times those crimes are perpetrated by family members, yeah. unfortunately. Yeah. So, uh, so we we are always looking for ways that we can improve on those laws, and working with the legislature to do so. Well, Jamie, this is uh, that's great background, and I appreciate what you've uh, brought to the table today uh, in this discussion. Um, and I'm not going to let this one go. This one just gets under my skin, especially with the experiences that I've had, not only in my own family, but in trying to be the uh, intermediary or conservator for an elderly woman who has experienced this, not just from the fake Alabama power account, but literally within her own household. And, uh, and it's sad. Um, but thanks for what you do. Thanks for spending time with us today. And, and I hope we can call you back again sometime soon. Sure, absolutely. And I do want to let your listeners know, um, we have a website called the AARP Fraud Watch Network. Mm. And it's a free service to people of all ages, don't have to be an AARP member to use it. And if you're interested in just staying up to date on this information, go to aarp.org slash fraudwatch. Uh, we keep it updated on a regular basis. All right. Perfect. Jamie Harding, Communications Director for AARP of Alabama. Thanks so much for your time. Thank you, Phil. I appreciate it. All right. Have a great day. Well, that was good. That that was that was perfect. I'm going to wrap this up when we get back. I've got a list here of the top 10 scams that target seniors and how to avoid them. It's a great article. It just came out in the last few months. So we get back. I'll wrap this topic up, and then we'll move on to number two, House Rules. Y'all stay tuned. Phil Williams, Right Side Radio. We will be right back.
And we are back. Phil Williams, Right Side Radio, covering all of North Alabama, solid, conservative, and just plain right, saving the world one soundbite at a time. And uh, <laughs> sometimes what happens in the studio is just funny. Boomer and I are just sitting here just talking, just just going at it, just, just chit-chatting about stuff and what's going on with the kids and everything else. And I looked over and I said, how much time have I got? Five seconds. Whoa! <laughs> oh, get back on the mic. Get back on the mic. <laughs> We're just having a conversation, just Having too much fun. That's right. Um, all right. Hey, uh, listen, I am, uh, by the way, the text lines blew up. So uh, apologies. Uh, I had a guest on, so I couldn't answer texts. I will, uh, I will, I mean, I'm looking at some of them right now. Let, let me just jump over there real quick. How about that? Um, David from Madison, uh, the charge for hate crimes. This is targeted at the most vulnerable, should be put at the top of the list. Mm, there you go. Um, Ken from Harvest said, elderly ex- exploitation. The Democrats do that every election cycle. <laughs> okay. John from Brownsboro. He says, um, uh, too long text. Let me see real quick here. He says, I got a call from the FBI in Texas, quote unquote, and was told I just had to send them $32,000 take care of a warrant that had been issued for me. I laughed for a week straight, reported it, never heard back. Had one call from Redstone Federal Credit Union saying I was behind on my loan payment. They had the correct amount of my loan but didn't know that I was current on my payments. I said, okay, I'll be there in 10 minutes and we'll address the issue with the office. At the bank, we called the number back that called me and got an accurately spoofed Redstone answering system, though the number didn't match any belonging to Redstone Federal and the person's name didn't match any personnel at the bank. It was reported in full to their fraud department. Yeah, that sounds like the Alabama Power thing. I mean, it was, it was that legit. Uh, Priscilla from Hartzell. Um, just, okay, never mind. Priscilla from Hartzell just sent me a, a picture, uh, a meme of uh, uh, Congressman Rogers. So, uh, <laughs> no way I can, no way I can describe it to you, and probably shouldn't. So, uh, Tyler from Huntsville says, "I sometimes answer spam calls, FBI Huntsville field office. How can I help you?" And they hang up. <laughs> that's that's good. Um, uh, anyway, uh, and then uh, Raven from Russellville says, I got the publisher's clearinghouse scam. So I called and told him to deduct the money I needed to come up with from my winnings. I'll be darned if those rude individuals didn't hang up on me. said, I sure would have liked that Mercedes Benz, LOL. Um, anyway, uh, good, good, good listeners. Um, thank you much for the input. Hey, let me tell you, I've got an article here from, uh, this came from Bankrate uh, Magazine. The top 10 scams that target seniors and how to, you'd be amazed at some of these. And by the way, folks, I'm telling you, they, if they would put some time and effort into doing a legit job with the same level of credibility that they do the illegitimate jobs, um, these scammers would, would still be millionaires. Uh, one of them is a healthcare scam. That's the number one is a healthcare scam that uh, literally they get called by a healthcare provider or Medicaid or Medicare telling them that they're in danger of losing their benefits if they don't provide additional payments to cover co-pays that they didn't pay or something like that. That comes over the phone more often. Um, and they're trying to get Social Security numbers a lot of times when they do that. Another one is the great-grandchild scam. That's when someone has a somewhat estranged family. They don't see their kids or grandkids, and they get a call one day, and it starts off with, hey, Grandma, do you know who this is? And she'll answer something like, is this little Jimmy? At which point they immediately grab the name and they'll go, this is Jimmy. Listen, grandma, I hate that I haven't seen you much, but I've had some trouble. And the next thing you know, they're trying to get money from grandma. Um, uh, you know, another one is, is, is even you find people who manage their money sometimes, and it can be a family member. It can even be a financial advisor. I've seen people close to me deal with a major controversy in the past with a financial advisor who was actually skimming the monies 
uh, because they had access to everything. To me, one of the worst is obituary scams. They literally look at the obituaries and they find a, 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 a widow and they will, they will call the deceased relative's family member, oftentimes a widow, and they'll prey upon them about debt that the, the guy so, so-called, you know, the, the decedent is so-called left behind. And if you don't pay it, man, we're going to have to collect on this. And they get scared. And so they start providing money. And they're, in a, they're already in a fragile state because they've lost a loved one, oftentimes a spouse. And these people will read the obituaries, y'all, and they will call. And, and to, I mean, this is, this is grounds for, like, you know, vigilante justice right here. I'm, I shouldn't have said that because someone's going to now say, Phil, what was calling? Anyway, the bottom line is this. Someone needs a whooping. I mean, someone needs some wall-to-wall counseling. This is unreal that they do this. Funeral scams, where they try to upsell you at the funeral home sometimes, and you got to watch these. Uh, funeral homes are businesses too, and you know if you if you see one that looks like a shady place, it might be. Medicare card scams. You've lost your Medicare ID number. We have to give you a new one, but there's a cost for replacing the card. Tech support. If you get a call, someone saying that they are with Apple, Microsoft, or another major brand, and they need to provide you with an off software update to avoid hacks. Don't do it. It doesn't work that way. And then, of course, Social Security scams. I mean, this one, it literally it says, the article says, you might be familiar with the scam. It's very prevalent in recent years. You get a call from a Washington, D.C. number. Alleges your Social Security number was used in a crime. The fraudster needs you to send money in order to fix it, maybe even give you a new number. And if not, the police may be coming to your house. So they pay to get the new number or the reconciliation of whatever the alleged problem was, and next thing you know, they've lost money. Folks, it just boggles the mind, but it happens every single day. Um, So the end result is this. Tell your family members, be careful with their personal information. Tell them that Medicare, Social Security, banks, and legitimate Medicaid, they don't call you. And they never ask you to pay for something you've already got a benefit for. And oh, by the way, they never ask you for your personal information over the phone. All right, we're changing gears. We'll get back from this one. That was Scams and Shams. We're going to House Rules, state and federal. Y'all stay tuned. We'll be right back. Right Side Ruffians out there, you are listening to Right Side Radio, solid conservative, just plain right. And we are back. Phil Williams, Right Side Radio, covering down on some ground across the great state of North Alabama, or the great state of Alabama, the northern part of our state. I'm talking about we are way down south of Birmingham, up north of Huntsville, Tuscaloosa, back to Gaston, parts of Georgia, Tennessee, and Mississippi, thrown in just for good measure. 
Hey, I'm switching gears now. We finished number one of the Triple Dipper. That was Scams and Shams. We're moving on now to, um, I'm calling it House Rules, but it's House Rules, State and Federal. So, yeah, so let me let me back up and, and, and lay the foundation for this. A lot of folks don't realize that there are rules of the House. I'm talking about Congress, and I'm also talking about the State House of Representatives. Keep in mind, and I, by the way, I, I feel like I'm preaching to the choir, but I got to say it every once in a while. There's somebody who's not aware. We have a very viable and active state legislature. Every state does. So you have, of course, Congress. Everybody knows the Congress and the U.S. Senate. But a lot of folks don't realize the impact on their lives of your own state Senate and state house. They meet in Montgomery in the state capitol, and they are the ones that make all the state laws. When you go to when you, when when someone goes to court, goes to jail, um, gets a traffic fine for texting while driving, pays taxes at the gas pump, you know, looks at how much we spend on education. Every bit of that comes from Montgomery, and you have elected officials who live right there in your hometowns. Uh, I was a state senator for eight years, and I can just tell you. I knew going in that the state Senate and the state legislature was impactful. I don't think I ever realized to the extent that it was until I got there. And I hate to say that, but I, I got there and realized, wow, there's a lot of times more that impacts our day-to-day life out of Montgomery than what impacts us out of D.C. It just doesn't get the same kind of news coverage. I mean, we'd be down there in the state capitol passing something of major import, but the story on the news would be something trivial out of D.C., Anyway, within the bodies of the legislature are the rules by which the legislature is governed. Same in D.C. And those rules can be amended, some of them. I mean, you have the procedural rules, like the parliamentary procedure, and and, and a lot of times the arbiter of whether something is or is not uh, uh, meeting the standards of the rules um, is is determined by the clerk of the Senate or the presiding uh, uh, member uh, who sits in the chair. In the case of the state Senate, the, the lieutenant governor sits in the chair and presides. And in the state House, the Speaker of the House, um, which is soon to be, uh, we understand, State Representative Nathaniel Ledbetter, who was here in the studio with us a few weeks ago. All right, all that to say, there's rules that don't change in terms of procedure, but then there's rules that do, and those are the actual rules of the House, rules of the Senate, not the parliamentary procedure, but the rules. The rules can be amended. The rules can be amended and sometimes it makes things worse. The rules can be amended in such a way that um, it can gain too much influence for a certain person, a certain party, uh, or for that matter, it might make things better. And it's going to be little things like uh, how many members can be on a committee? What are the voting rights? How do you bring local bills? Like if all you want is, uh, if you, if you want to have a bill on, I don't know, um, whether or not you can have Sunday alcohol sales in Bruton. Well, they may have to have a bill just for their locality in Montgomery, but how do you bring those to the floor and how does it work? And how do you vote? And, and oh, by the way, what are the procedures by which you vote? And oh, by the way, how much notice do you have to have before a committee can have a hearing? And, and oh, by the way, how long does it take to bring something to the floor after it's been through committee? All these things relate to the House rules or the Senate rules. Well, right now, today, this is a huge day, y'all, because last week up in D.C., what was being just, you know, just bandied about, and it, it was it was less about the person. I mean, everybody thinks it's about, oh, it's Kevin McCarthy. We don't trust him. It wasn't, it wasn't, that was like minusal compared to what was being negotiated. Kevin McCarthy was probably always going to wind up being the Speaker of the House. I say that because he had the overwhelming majority. He had 90% of the caucus. 
the 20% were holding out, not because they always believed that Kevin was wrong for the job, but there were a couple who did. But for the most part, they were holding out because they were trying to change the rules. They were trying, and, and for the right reasons, they were trying to bring some different level of autonomy and accountability to the House. Under Nancy Pelosi, people could do things like vote by proxy. Why? Because she had the rules amended to do so. What does that mean? That means a, a congressman didn't even have to be there. They could just call and leave a note that says, uh, due to the ongoing health pandemic, I don't believe that it is wise for me to be present today. I have now authorized Congressman so-and-so to vote in my stead. Do you know when the 200, uh, when, excuse me, when the $1.7 trillion omnibus spending bill came over from the Senate a couple weeks ago, $1.7 trillion freaking dollars of your tax money filled with pork like you wouldn't believe that the Senate saw it for a whole 24 to 48 hours tops before they had to vote on it. 4,155 pages. And then once they do, it's called being transferred. They transferred the bill back to the House. It was not at all what the House had seen in the past. It wasn't like the House had really had a time to deal with this. And so they sent it back to the House. Guess how long Nancy Pelosi gave the members of the body to review that bill? About four or five hours. 4,150, there's no way in the world anyone could possibly read and know for sure what was in there. Pelosi didn't care, and her rules allowed her to do it that quick. And her rules also allowed the fact that 226 members of Congress were not even there. Can you imagine that? You got elected to be a freaking congressman serving in the Congress of the greatest nation on the face of the earth, the only true viable remaining superpower on earth, and you spent $1.7 trillion and you didn't have the wherewithal to even be there. Onesies and twosies, I get it. Somebody's in the hospital, somebody's sick, somebody's daughter graduated from college, and they're real people too. They got lives, I get it. No, not 226 of them. The rules allowed them to do it. Those rules are changing. So the manner in which Congress conducts its business and the manner in which the state House of Representatives conducts its business are both changing. Now, right now, Congress has taken up new rules today. I mean, I don't know if they got the votes yet. But aside from the vote you know, scuffle that we saw last week trying to get Kevin McCarthy elected, the, the thing we got now is some of those moderates, they're ticked because they didn't want the rules changes that the Freedom Caucus got put in place. The Freedom Caucus really held out, y'all, for the benefit of the nation with rules that will allow for greater level of accountability on fiscal matters, will give conservatives more of a voice in the overall process, and, uh, and that's good. Now, on a slightly different tack, we have a situation brewing right now in Montgomery, and I'm, I'm looking at it kind of sideways. I mean, some of these lawmakers are, are personal friends of mine. Um, Nathaniel Ledbetter sat right here in the studio, and I consider him to be a friend. But I'm concerned about the level of change they're looking at because even though I get irritated with Democrats having the right to, to filibuster and to hold up the process, that's still their right, the same as what the 20 had last week in D.C. you you got to make sure that you recognize that your role in the majority may not always be there. And if you begin implementing rules that disenfranchise 
a conservative voice or the Democrat Party that, that those of you in charge may wind up regretting it later. And I don't want to go down that road. And I surely don't want to go down that road because a bunch of moderates and special interests decided the best thing they could do was make it harder for conservatives to have a voice. <laughs> Not after what we just saw in D.C. I mean, can you imagine if we are a bright red state and, and we can't um, govern as such? All right, listen, we're going to cover down on this. Story came out on 1819. I got a leaked copy this past weekend of the proposed House rules. Somebody sent it to me, what day did I get it? Friday, I think. So Friday, I got it. Um, I, I also understand that uh, 1819 News got a copy. I think Jeff Poor's already had it probably on his talk show this morning down in Mobile. Um, it's a, a story came out on 1819news.com about it today. Um, Stephanie Smith, I know she got a copy of it, and she actually contacted me. I said, come on the show. Let's do a whole segment called House Rules. So Stephanie's going to be here at the top of the hour. We're going to talk about... Hmm. All these rule changes. Do we like them? Don't we like them? What could they mean? Are they done innocently? But what are the second and third order effects? House rules. Boomer, let's do this, man. Let's take a break about a minute, a half ahead of schedule so we can come back and have more time to start unpacking this. You guys, we're going to take the break right now. Number two of the Triple Dipper, house rules, state and federal. By the way, these rules will determine in some ways whether conservatives have a voice. We'll talk more about it. Phil Williams, Right Side Radio. Y'all stay tuned. back. Phil Williams, Right Side Radio. Solid conservative, just plain right. Making it cool to be a conservative. You want to text in? We'll take those. Remember, I see we got a new texture, by the way. Uh, Amy from Madison just texted in. Um, and uh, so, yeah, Amy, uh, glad you're there. Uh, we got you in the system now. Uh, glad you are on board Right Side Ruffian. So, uh, yeah, if you're texting for the very first time, it's 833-687-4448. You can find all that stuff, by the way, if you go to our website, uh, rightsideradio.org. The phone number is at the top. That's the same number you call in if you want to. Um, and you can also watch the live stream. Uh, Boomer and I sit here in the studio doing our thing. And, uh, and so, yeah, Right Side Radio's uh, studio has got a live stream on our website, on Facebook, on Instagram, on YouTube. Where else, Boomer? Anywhere else? If I got it all? Uh, yeah. Website. YouTube, Facebook, and oh yeah, that's it. That's it. <laughs> I was like, is there was one like, more? No, that's just that's it. <laughs> okay, thanks. <laughs> There's four of them. All right, good deal. Uh, yeah, I mean, I tell you what, the tech has really ramped up uh, since Boomer's been in the chair, so we're glad of it. Um, hey, uh, and yeah, if you do text in for the very first time, uh, text the word "right side." You'll get an automatic message back that says, you know, something like "Thanks for listening, you right side ruffian," or something like that, and tell us your first name, where you're from. And we'll put you in the system. Uh, had a ton of text today. Um, let me tell you, we're on this first, the this, this, uh, this second part of the Triple Dipper, excuse me, house rules, state and federal. Let me give you an example, personal experience, something I was thinking about 
proposing. I did the research on it, and I was in the state Senate. Senator Del Marsh was the pro tem of the state Senate. There's this very tedious process we have to go through every year. It's called sunset bills. Sunset bills are those that have a sunset provision in them related to a government agency. You know, like in eight years in the, in the legislature, I only saw one uh, um, committee or, excuse me, um, agency that was actually sunsetted, meaning we didn't need it anymore. But you'll see things like, I don't know, uh, the Alabama uh, Pipe Fitters Board or, or, you know, the Alabama Builders Commission or something like that. And all these have their own quasi-state-controlled agency, or at the very least, they're chartered, and they have some limit measure of authority. And a lot of them have sunsets on them. So that means every year you're required by the Constitution to review them, make sure they still have a grounds for existence, and then we have to bring them back to the floor of the House and the Senate and approve them. Okay, all that to say, there's a bunch of them. I'm talking about a whole bunch. And I'm talking about if the Democrats are mad, if they had something going on that they were trying to control, they would get up there and literally you've got, here, here's how long it could take. Madam President, uh, I move that we consider, and, and they would bring it up. The next bill on the calendar will be this. Yes, ma'am, I move that we consider that and move for final passage, third reading being consensus, using the previous role without objection. I object. And the next thing you know, what could have been about a 45-second process to pass one and go on to the next one on the list because they are literally perfunctory. There is nothing to them. They are, if I had to say rubber stampish, they're rubber stampish. I watched more than once when the Democrats were mad about something else unrelated, and so they would take turns filibustering, and every single one of those is considered a bill that could have up to two hours of filibuster. What that means is a list of 15 um, sunset committees could literally be done in half an hour. You could, you could take 15 of those and within two minutes have each one out of the way. From the time you brought it to the floor, it was voted on, and it moved to the next one because these are not considered to be overly substantive. They are part of the process of maintaining functions of government that have already been deemed by the committee as necessary. Bam. What happens, though? 15 of them go to two hours each. Picture it. You just went from 30 minutes to 30 hours. And you would have literally, when you consider that a legislative day is on the average about six to eight hours in the chamber, you just literally could kill multiple days of legislative process. All that to say, why am I talking about this? Because that was the rule. So I researched the rule. I went to uh, the legislative uh, fiscal office and the legislative uh, services agency and I asked them to research this for me, and they came back and they determined, yes, you know what? We actually could consolidate all of those sunset bills into one omnibus sunset passage and just simply say, uh, we now will consider all of those that were considered to be non-controversial. They were not opposed in committee and pass it as one bill. Why would we not? Here's why we would not. That was my idea, but the voice of wisdom at that point was Senator Del Marsh who I, I greatly respect. He was here in our, 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 cha our, our studio not long ago. And Dale said, Phil, here's the problem. One day we might not be in charge and we'll be wishing we had that option. And he said, I, I said, I was in the majority, I was in the minority for so many years. There were times when we stopped some bad legislation the Democrats were proposing because we had the option of opposing sunset bills and they gave us time. 
He said, if I strip it away from them now, they'll use it against us later if they ever have the ability to be in charge. And I looked at him and I said, well, that makes too much sense. All that to say, rules matter. And when you know the rules of the House or the legislative body you're in, you can get some stuff done, man. But when you see people trying to, quote unquote, streamline the process, like I was trying to do, actually, you may find hmm, that could backfire. You may find also that there may be a time when a piece of legislation, in this case, think about it. Just it wasn't so long ago, Republicans passed a freaking gas tax. Republicans passed a medical marijuana bill. Republicans came close to passing a gambling casino bill. It may be that conservative members of the body have to have those options even to stand up and say, whoa, 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 I want to slow this sucker down. I've done it myself. So that being said, we got to watch these rule changes very carefully to make sure that what we're not seeing is, is a, what, what, that what we're seeing is not something designed to, to literally disenfranchise a voice, any voice, even a Democrat voice, but certainly we don't want to disenfranchise the opportunity for conservatives to stop bad policy. So that's why we're spending time today on House rules. We're going to come back here in a minute, talk with uh, Stephanie Smith. Uh, Stephanie always has great input. She's been around state and federal government for a number of years, and we'll get her take on this. But folks, listen. This is a big deal, and it means something. The rules matter. They do. Uh, And how you govern the House of Representatives at both D.C. and Montgomery, oh, it can matter. Hey, before I go any further, i got to tell you guys, uh, as we're about to head to the break, um, I'm switching gears here. Riley and Jackson, uh, the law firm Riley and Jackson, they're friends of mine. Uh, I know these folks personally. I talked to them just the other day. I've worked on issues. I've worked on cases with them. They are working on this Camp Lejeune water contamination case. It's confirmed the water was contaminated. It was known, apparently, and there are like 19 different major illnesses attributed to it. And if you were ever at Camp Lejeune between 1953 and 1987, you you may have become eligible for a claim, or for that matter, one of your family members may have been exposed to it, and they're eligible for a claim. The other piece they wanted me to make sure you all knew, because they've gotten quite a few, apparently, right-side calls, and they've got several new right-side clients was they wanted me to let you know that firefighters, if you were a firefighter or, for that matter, in the military using firefighting foam, you may have been exposed to a carcinogenic version of firefighting foam. They're working that case, too. They will not charge you for a consultation call. They will not charge you unless they get money for you. How about that? You can call them at this number, 205-879-5000. That's Riley and Jackson Law Firm. They work statewide. Number is 205 879 5,000. And please tell me you heard about it on the right side of radio. And no representation made the quality legal service before. It was great. The quality legal service before the lawyers. There it is. Taking a break. Coming right back. Stephanie Smith.
right side ruffians out there. You are listening to Right Side Radio, solid conservative, just plain right. You're listening live to Right Side Radio with Phil Williams. It's hard to go wrong when you're on the right side. Right Side Radio, solid, conservative, and just plain right. Alabama syndicated news talk leader, Right Side Radio, Phil Williams here live in the Right Side Studios, hour number three. And like the dude just said, solid, conservative, and just plain right. Well, we're on uh, number two of the Triple Dipper. I'm calling this section House Rules. House Rules, both state and federal. I mean, like I said before, the manner in which they establish the committees, the manner in which they control the flow of, of things to and from the House floor, uh, the length of time given to, um, uh, uh, you know, review legislation before it's voted on, uh, all that matters. And you can change the dynamic. You can change the whole flow of things. And you can also, by the way, enhance or suppress the ability for people to have a voice. Well, someone who has been on the show multiple times, he's a frequent flyer here at Right Side Radio. Uh, Stephanie Smith is with the Thatcher Coalition. Uh, they're an organization that does strategy development, uh, governmental and legislative relations, uh, research, regulatory and agency advocacy, all those kinds of things, because Stephanie's got a long history of working in um, both state and federal uh, uh, you know, governmental affairs, and also, by the way, doing so for uh, uh, big corporations. Without further ado, my friend Stephanie Smith, how you doing? I'm doing great, Phil. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Thank you. Well, uh Hey, by the way, before I kick off, um, this is this is an aside here. Before I kick off on the House rules, did you see that um, it appears Congressman Mike Rogers, after his dust up on the floor, is going to be uh, resigning his position on the steering committee for the GOP? I did see that. I saw that he apologized, um, and I was a little surprised, honestly, that he was stepping down from that spot um, after the apology and the acceptance of the apology on the Sunday shows. Um yeah, I think that was just kind of a momentary loss of cognition for you know a few moments from Congressman Rogers. But yeah, um, sometimes those things have consequences. I did see that um, Dan Crenshaw also lost his, his spot as yep. chair of Homeland Security, yep. and that's a big deal, I'm sure, for him. Well, so, yeah, but I mean, when you call people insurrectionists and terrorists, it's kind of hard to lead Homeland Security after that. Yeah, and and it's it's one thing to let a word slip and then change your wording, but he he was literally he was condescending, and it was it was very disappointing to watch uh, on a, on a continual yeah. basis. And he like, doubled down on it. Oh too. yeah, yeah. He, it wasn't like a, oh that was an you know an angry moment. My apologies. I let you know I let the moment get to me. It, he he doubled and tripled down. So uh, that was unfortunate to see. Well, uh, house rules. You want to start federal or state? Which one do you want to go for first? Your choice. <laughs> you, you tell me. You know, <laughs> I feel like I feel like the federal stuff has been so interesting over the last week, and it's been one of the compelling things to me is to see some, um, you know, what I would term establishment Republicans really getting angry at yeah. the fact that the twenty, you know, had the gall to push back at all. How and dare they? Really they just needed to sit down, shut up, and get in line. And um, I haven't seen very many of those really backtrack and say, oh, wow, I was wrong. We got some good things. Or, 
Um, you know, maybe I wouldn't have gone about it that same way, but they, they sure did get, you know, a pretty meaty list of positives. Yeah, they did. Um, I haven't seen many of those, haven't seen many of those reactions. So well, well, the it's only, be interesting to see how these rules are handled today. You know, I've seen two reactions that are, that are notable. One is Nancy Mace, who was, you know, mm-hmm. uh, big time in the, uh, vote McCarthy, don't question this camp. And um, right. and she's now saying she's just not sure she's on board. Too many back, too many back deals. I want to know what all the deals were. Everybody knows what the deals were. I mean, if there right. were, if there was a handshake that somebody would get a committee assignment, okay. But the reality is, the speaker had the authority. The potential speaker had the authority to, you know, hopefully push somebody for a position on a committee. But nonetheless, all the rules are in place, and everybody knows what they are um, for them to vote on. Um, right. Well, and the thing is, too, it seems like some of what what the uh, the you know two hundred versus the twenty um, that they wanted everybody to get in line, and then now that everybody has gotten in line, now they're the ones balking. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I don't know how they're reconciling that in their minds, but. Uh, it seems a little upside down to me. Well, let's talk about what they are. The rules package that, that's up in D.C., I mean, it has a variety yeah. of things in it, um, but but most of them are designed to make sure that, I, in my opinion, that conservatism has more opportunity for a voice. Um, right. And I'm, I'm looking at things like right here. I've got a, a, a list uh, that came off of uh, eenews.net, and we've got okay. things like um, uh, literally – uh, some of the stuff is like, you know, oh, wow, I didn't know that was even a thing. Like the idea that they can put a rule in place that allows the expediting of bills that transfer federal lands back to states because right. Democrats have held those kinds of things up forever out of, you know, green energy uh, or green policy type uh, fears. Um, mm-hmm. We got stuff like um, you can expedite now under these new rules for Republicans the ability to offer amendments to spending bills and even fire um, poorly performing uh, uh, government employees. Um, right. One of the biggest concessions, and, and I think there's kind of a list of concessions and there's a list of rules and there's some overlap there. Um, but one of the biggest concessions that I saw as far as the actual speaker race was that they they wanted to hold pat on discretionary spending at 2020 at 2022 level yeah and that that's a huge victory for fiscal conservatives and then the other was you know budget uh, basically requiring a budget resolution to balance the budget within 10 years which sounds like a long time but 10 years is a lot better than you know 100 years well it, it's, so, it, would, it would take 10 years anyway <laughs> with the level of debt we have sure. but yeah um, the other thing they've got too is the uh, a rule allowing more time to review legislation before it's called to a vote. Right, the seventy-two hours. Yeah, absolutely. Oh. I wish we had that in Alabama. Wow. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that that would be nice. Um, but the whole Pelosi, you know, you know, just pass it and then you can see what's in it. Um, mantra was something that really a McCarthy-led or a Republican-led. Congress shouldn't be for, just like some of these Alabama rules that are kind of headed the exact opposite direction, seem a little bit like Democrat rules, you know, that Republicans ought not to be for. The lack of transparency, the lack of sunshine, you know, um, disallowing, um, you know, public notice for things. Why, why would we Why would we be against public notice for public meetings? Have, have you just switched Republican? gears and gone, gone state on me? <laughs> Well, we can go back. We can go back to federal. <laughs> I got, so I got a list of stuff this. here. You're just like jumping from one list to the next. 
Okay, well, don't confuse everybody. Let's go back to federal. <laughs> no, but you're right. The amount of time we have, let's go ahead and jump over to state. I'm sorry. So, uh, yeah, the state rules, and I described before you came on, I'm not sure if you heard it all, that, 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 that the manner in which the House in both D.C. and in Montgomery conduct business matters. And, um, uh-huh. and that what we're looking at right now, there are some legitimate concerns. Uh, we all, I uh, say we all, several of us got leaked copies of the proposed rule changes and I'm not real on board with some of these. Um, yeah, and there are several that people are pretty exercised about, and I'm not sure I'm the most exercised about the ones that that others are. But um, the one that get there are two there are two or three that really get me. One is this 24 hour committee meeting public notice. Yeah. Now you and I know at the end of the legislative session, everything gets put on like two and a half speed because everybody starts you know, just amping it up. And so what happens at the end of the session is what really matters. The budgets are almost always at the end of the session. The most controversial bills get passed at the end of the session, sometimes even, you know, the last day. Well, what this rule change would do would be to say, um, beginning on the 20th legislative day, they only have to give a four-hour notice to have a, a public meeting. Yeah. So, you know, if you're con- if you're in Gadsden and you're concerned about a bill, you only get a four hours notice before you have to be in Montgomery to testify against a piece of legislation or try to influence it Which, to be there on the ground. I'll be honest with you. The biggest dust up I had with a lobbyist, by the way, was mm-hmm. when I gave a mere 24 hours notice for a public hearing. Um Right. on a major piece of legislation dealing with the Birmingham Waterworks. And uh, and this lobbyist was so offended because he couldn't get his witness there in time to testify against the legislation. And I said, it's right. 24 hours. I'm not sure what you want from me. Um, mm-hmm. but, but what we're looking well, at right is, now is four, well, hours. is four hours. There's no way. <laughs> this would be four hours. And, and the frustrating thing is, and sometimes they'll suspend the rules and do this anyway, but that's not a good reason to do this all the time. Um and it's really not particularly acceptable to, to continually suspend the rules so that you can get around your own rules. You make your own rules, so you should stick to your own rules. And, and I'll tell you where, um, where this becomes a real issue, too, to Steph. I'll tell you where it becomes a real issue, too, is when you see that, that, that bill that you thought was dead suddenly gain mm-hmm. new life at the end of a session because they, they literally lulled you into a sense of complacency that that controversial <laughs> gaming bill or whatever it may be uh, it's not going to pass this year. We can't get it. Out. And all of a sudden, ba-bam, that thing comes out with four hours notice. It's on the House floor. Next thing you know, you're mm-hmm. moving, and you don't even have a chance to even try to do much to it until it comes to the floor itself. Yeah, and that 24-hour rule, if I'm not mistaken, is how the gambling uh, legislation was killed two, two years ago. So I don't think any of this is accidental. No, I, I agree. Um we got several other rules in here that uh, one of which deals with local legislation, which a lot of folks don't realize that there are times when a local bill means something to a local delegation. Nobody else cares about it, but that becomes a leverage point because, you know, I may not care that they want Sunday alcohol sales in Bruton, Alabama. It's way outside my district, but whatever. They've got their local delegation running a bill for them. And then in, in sometimes as a, a retribution and sometimes as a, a control tactic, someone will actually strategically put a objection on local legislation. And back home, right. your mayor is screaming at you, why haven't you got it passed yet? And you can't get it passed because the rule has been that one person can block local bills. Well, uh-huh. I, I get it. It's also a tactic that's sometimes very useful to help control the flow of the process when things are getting out of hand. They're moving this to potentially 11 people have to pro- – and 
good luck finding 11 people that are going to say, I'll block your local bills, because that's a big deal. Well, and that's a big deal. And once you block somebody else's local bills, you can bet on retribution. So then that just becomes yeah. an eye for an eye and an eye for an eye again. And, you know, then nobody's got any eyes. <laughs> the problem is that for this one, to me, is that some of these rules, and this is one of them, is they're supposed to be so that local people can actually represent who they're supposed to represent, which is the people in their area. And so that's why I have such a, such trouble with that specific one about the local bills. Um, you know, we don't have home rule. There are a lot of things that are that are considered in Montgomery that really should be local issues. But if we're going to have the system in this way, then the people who represent you know, that area should be the one um, to have the most say on local legislation, because another one of the rules that they're talking about changing is if it's a constitutional amendment, a local a local constitutional amendment, it doesn't even go to your local delegation meeting anymore. Yeah. And so it, it's a centralization of power that makes me pretty uncomfortable. Yeah. And I guess in the final seconds here, um, you know, we're, you and I, we, we know this process inside now, it's a little bit in the weeds. Uh, but it I is. guess to sum it up, what we're saying is some of these rules that are being proposed in Montgomery can actually limit the amount of debate. They can, they can disenfranchise opposition to having a chance to filibuster or help try to get a voice when they might be in the minority, but they at least want a voice. And, and it also, by the way, allows for some special interest to jump their stuff in there real quick and, and catch you off guard. And, and all that is bad, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. And I think it limits the ability of just grassroots, um, run-of-the-mill folks to be part of the process. I think that's intentional. And the other thing that really bothers me is that it seems to be trying to quiet or stifle debate. And and debate is necessary. That, yes. that Going back to what we saw in, in D.C. last week, it should be passing legislation be, should be slow and methodical and well debated by all sides. And yes. anything that is trying to quiet debate or disenfranchise certain people, whether or not that's the most conservative people or in Alabama, the Democrats and the most conservative people, I'm against. It needs to be fully debated, fully vetted, and slow and methodical and like clockwork, not a top, not a top down type of situation. Yeah. I heard a quote on a TV show once and I thought it was great. It said good public policy should be made in the, in the bright light of day and not in the back rooms. Amen. And, and that's what, that's what debates for. Hey, my friend, uh, that takes us past our usual time. So I appreciate you. Thanks for making yourself available to us today. And, uh, we'll have you on again soon. I'm sure. Absolutely. My pleasure. Thanks, All right. Bill. Thanks. That's uh, Stephanie Smith with the Thatcher Coalition. You can find out more about her and her business at thatchercoalition.com. Uh, she's good at what she does. Always provides great commentary. Um, all right, boomers, taking us to a break. We're going to move on, going to number three on the Triple Dipper. How you like me now? Border chaos. That's where we're headed next. Y'all stay tuned. We'll be right back.
And we are back. Phil Williams, Right Side Radio, covering all of North Alabama, solid, conservative, and just plain right, making it cool to be a conservative. So, hey, listen, we ran long on that segment knowingly because uh, it was it was it was it was good stuff. Stephanie Smith provides great commentary every single time I've had her on the show. It's always been spot on. Um, but um, going to be a short segment here. Before I go too much further, though, I got to pause. I got to tell you. So, if you have not been to Just Love Coffee Cafe, you're overdue, man. So, let me just suggest to you. There's two locations in our listening area, one on Hughes Road out in Madison towards City Hall, the other on South Parkway in Huntsville down by Whole Foods. Check them out. Just Love Coffee Cafe. Now, they got a menu that'll knock your socks off. It's all kind of unique and and done differently. A lot of times they cook their stuff in a waffle iron, so it comes out with this kind of texture and flavor that's really cool. But do they have great coffee? Man, yeah, they do. Award-winning dry roast, light roast, medium, dark roast. They can grind the beans fresh, make you a steaming cup of black coffee. What a great way to start the day or have a break during the middle of the day. But then their Charlene calls them the treat coffees. Their cappuccinos, the espressos, the lattes. I was there one day. Travis, who owns Just Love Coffee's franchises in the Huntsville area, he taught me how to do pour-over coffee, which is actually very cool. And, uh, and so I'm just telling you, they know coffee. And they do it well. Just Love Coffee Cafe. Two locations in our listening area. One on Hughes Road in Madison. The other on South Parkway in Huntsville. Check them out. Hey, and when you're checking out, by the way, when you're actually checking out at the counter, uh, tell them you heard about it at Right Side Radio. That's, I get the biggest kick when they tell me that. Um, all right. Hey, by the way, we've got uh, plenty more coming back with the next part of the Triple Dipper. We're going to be doing uh, the Border Chaos. And I don't mean like a little bit. Wow. Uh, we'll cover down on that. What happened with Biden's visit, if anything? And uh, what's happening when he's down in Mexico? What's going on in Mexico? So, yeah, stay tuned for that one. Border chaos, number three of the Triple Dipper here. We'll run the last half hour of that. And, and, and folks, I, I, I got to tell you, if there's a part of the show you've listened to and you thought, oh, what did he say? I want to hear that again. Or, man, I got a friend needs to hear him say that. Or, you know, a segment that Boomer and I talked about together or let's laughed about together. Like, I'll be honest with you, last weekend, uh, I, I actually went back, Boomer, and listened to the uh, segment where you and I were talking about the uh, Adventures in Woke World with the the non-binary, oh, man. indigenous, queer, art collective person who faked her Native American heritage. <laughs> I sent that to someone Did because you really? I thought it was so funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can find all these on our podcast. Go to our website, rightsideradio.org, and you can find that, like Boomer said, he sent it to a person. Uh, you can send these out to people if you want to, listen to them again. And, or just sign up to get them when they come in so you can listen to them in your car driving to work. We would appreciate it. We're somewhere like close to 106,000 or more downloads of the podcast right now. Is that where we are, Boomer? Yeah, right there. We're right so close to 106. Let's hit that tonight. That'd be great. I like it. <laughs> all right. There's all that. All right. We're coming right back. Border chaos. Do we have a border? We'll talk about it. Y'all stay tuned.
Hey, all you right side ruffians out there, you are listening to Right Side Radio, solid conservative, just plain right. And we are back. Phil Williams, Right Side Radio, covering all of North Alabama, solid conservative and just plain right. So uh, here in the last part of the show, we're going to jump to number three of the Triple Dipper, the border chaos. And I got to be honest with you, it's not just the border itself. It's what's south of the border that's chaos. I'm not sure if y'all have been seeing the reports. Uh, Boomer and I were talking earlier. Boomer, have you seen any of those stories at all about the chaos happening between the cartels and the Mexican government? Oh, my word. It's going crazy down there. I'm talking about Apache gunships making gun runs. I mean, it looks like Fallujah. Something about like even like those cartels were shooting at planes, leaving the airports and stuff. I mean, it's it's unreal. It's mass chaos. it's one of those things you look at it and think, okay, are we that close? Charlene was talking the other day. She said that she heard uh, one pundit say that Mexico is on the verge of becoming a failed state. I, oh, wow. I mean, when you think of failed states, you think of places like Somalia, like you know, the Battle of Mogadishu, Black Hawk Down. I mean, this, it it so I, I would hope not. Right. I mean, Mexico has infrastructure. Mexico has governance. Mexico is our neighbor, <laughs> by the way. Um but so, uh, so yeah, border chaos. Down south of the border right now, there is a actual, like, war going on between the cartels and the Mexican government. What happened there was um, the, the Mexican government, uh, in, a, in a major raid, seized uh, the son of notorious drug lord El Chapo. And he's, he's, just, he's, just, a, he's just a punk kid. Uh, but he's, you know, he's part of the deity of these uh, cartels, and uh, and so the, the the royal family has to be protected at all costs. So the cartels are lashing out right now, and I don't mean like a little bit. Like Fox News was reporting earlier, they've been the, the Mexican government has been seizing major weapon systems, like fifty caliber machine guns, the, you know, the, the M2, the Browning fifty cal, or or fifty caliber Barrett sniper rifles. Wow, this is these are heavy weapons, and so. The idea that we're seeing that kind of stuff being used on the streets of Mexican cities um, is significant. It also indicates the level to which the cartels have been emboldened on the southern border. And not a little bit, y'all. I mean, the Mexican cartels, they run the border. They, they will literally, and we've had people on here before that will testify to the fact that, that They'll do things like they'll stage mass migrations in one part to distract what the overworked CBP can do so they can run drugs on another part. They'll do things like, you know, mass murders to draw attention from the Mexican government while they dig tunnels in another place. Some of the stuff they do is literally to stage in one place while they do in another place. And it's because they control the borders. Um, I got a caller on the line. Boomer, I do. Oh, is that Allie? Allie from Athens. How are you doing today? Hey, I am doing well. Just wanted to say a couple things about the border. Number one, uh, Chuck Pierce, I'm not sure if you're familiar with him, but he is a Christian believer who is most gifted when it comes to spiritual mapping. And I went to a conference on the El Paso side when we were still living in Ciudad Juarez. And what he said, and this was probably 1999, maybe 2000, he said that, if the people of God do not pray 
and pay attention to what's going on, hmm. there will be open warfare in the streets of Juarez. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Well, that was prescient. Yeah. That was, that was, that was yes, spot on. Yes, it was. It right. absolutely was. But here's the other thing that I want to um, say to give hope. You have the same kind of thing in Bogota. And George Otis did a remarkable um, documentary on the fact that when the people of God finally got sick and tired enough of what was going on and, and prayed, they actually, in my view, prayed the cartel into jail. And that's a documented thing. That's not pie in the sky. So if anybody wants to take a look at the documentaries of George Otis and the power of prayer, it will encourage you. No more hand-wringing, y'all. Yeah, that's good stuff, Allie. And you're right. I'm, I'm a firm believer prayer does change things. And, and, and scripturally speaking, too, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, then I will hear from them, and I will answer their prayers and heal their land. That's 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 scriptural. And, uh, it so, is. Yeah, thank you, my friend. Good stuff. Good stuff. You're welcome, as sir. Always. Okay, bye-bye. Um, calls are coming in. We'll take them. Um, listen, so President Biden, he made a trip to the border. Go figure. He actually realized we have a southern border. <laughs> Yay! But uh, he went down there, and he went for a whole three hours. So now I, I don't think we were looking for him to have to spend the night, uh, have to you know spend days on end. But I think the Border Patrol probably would have appreciated it. And what's interesting is I've got a story right here from the New York Post. You've seen the mass migration across the southern border, El Paso being the city that has been hit potentially the hardest in terms of the masses, literally the masses of people that have just flooded. Their, like, like it's becoming homeless encampments. They can't keep up with them all. Well, story here on New York Post. Headline, migrants plead with El Paso cops as they're rounded up ahead of the Biden visit. They literally cleaned the streets so the president wouldn't have to see it all. Maddening to me. Gripping video, it says, captures the moments that migrants in El Paso prayed in vain as cops rounded them up outside a local church shelter ahead of President Biden's first visit to the Mexican border on Sunday. And, and they're, they're literally showing how like 150 migrants were swept off of one street. City police and U.S. Customs and Border Protection officers, it says, swept through the Texas city in the days before Biden's arrival on Sunday, clearing immigrants from a shelter, from a shelter at Sacred Heart Church and outside a local bus station. Says El pa By the way, if you've seen the videos, Google illegal immigration El Paso airport. The, I don't know how the airport became a place where you're allowed to camp out inside, but the hallways were lined like a homeless shelter. Says the move to round up the migrants came as Biden made his first trip to the beleaguered city on Sunday for a brief three-hour visit before heading to Mexico. In a statement, the federal agency's El Paso office issued a statement defending the sudden roundup of the migrants. Uh, and it says they use a layered approach and they, they, they do things. No, they didn't. They didn't want the photo op of the president's vehicles driving past encampments of illegals. That's what they didn't want. They didn't want the possibility that he could be seen in the same photo with large masses of people who got here illegally because all they would do is use it on the next campaign commercial. But I got a caller on the line, bud. Line, line one, Mark from Athens. Hey, Mark, how you doing? I'm doing great, Senator. Thank you, man. Uh, I got a story to tell you. Before I moved here in 2000, I, I was living with the company that transferred me here in a city called McAllen, Texas. Yeah. All the news right now, because the, the president went to Juarez and, and to El Paso, is about El Paso and Juarez. But 
I can tell you firsthand that Reynosa, Mexico, yeah. which is right across the border from McAllen, is a whole lot worse than Juarez. I did a, I, uh, on I did a mission trip to Reynosa a few years back, and it was something else. Yeah, and once you get out of the city, out of, off the main boulevards where the touristy stuff is, you better watch out. Yeah, and uh, I was my wife and I and my daughter at that time was three years old. Went over to Reynosa quite regularly on the weekends, and one Saturday we went over to Reynosa and we were in the square. I don't know if you ever visited the square in Reynosa where they got the big Catholic church and all that that's really old. Yeah, I think I recall and, that. We were sitting in a little outside restaurant right on the square, and right across the square from us, all of a sudden, three Humvees come flying into the town. Guys with black outfits on, black masks, black hats jump out. Wow. And sitting in a restaurant there on that side of the, of the square was the city mayor from Reynosa, the chief of police, and the lieutenant governor, so to speak, of Mexico, sitting outside in a, in a, having lunch on a Sunday afternoon. And they got out with machine guns. I don't know what they, what weapons they were. I couldn't really see, so I couldn't say anything. I just know it was rapid fire and wiped out all of them at one time. You can wow. Google it and look it up. Wiped out all of them. The mayor, the chief of police, and the attorney general, uh, or the, the lieutenant governor, and there was two other guys that were real important people that the cartel was mad at. They wiped them all out right there and then drove right out of the town. That's, that's amazing, man. And, you know, you hear that kind of stuff, and it's like, okay— that's on our southern border. By the way, McAllen and Reynosa, you can see each other from there. It's like all the, the only thing in, in, in the way is a wall. And it's, and it's not like Reynosa and El Paso. I mean, uh, Juarez and El Paso. You have to drive a little bit once you get over the border from uh, El Paso to get into Juarez. Yeah. Oh, my uh, Reynosa gosh. is right there. I mean, Reynosa is the, probably one of the largest cities in Mexico. What year was that uh, incident you're talking about that you, that you witnessed? I believe it was 1999. Wow. I believe it was 1998 or 1999. Well, it ain't no better and, uh, right now. That was when, I don't remember the president then of Mexico, but he was cracking down on the cartel with, uh, I believe it was Bush. That was Vicente Fox, and, wasn't uh, it? Yes, Vicente Fox. That's correct. He was cracking down on the cartels with Bush. Yeah. And that's when the cartel, they came in and they swept that Reynosa uh, hierarchy out in one blow right there in downtown Reynosa on the square, right in front of everybody. They didn't care who was there, who got hit, nothing. Well, it was just men, a bunch of men in black and all dressed in black with black face masks and hoodies and everything on. And they jumped out and just started opening fire out of those Humvees. Well, then they jumped in them and drove right out. I'll tell you what, man, that's a that's a memory I wouldn't want to have to have in a, uh, in a civilian non-war environment. Um, it was scary. Hey, Mark, yeah, thanks for the call, man. You I, bet. Thank you. Appreciate Senator. you. Absolutely. Golly, can you imagine? I mean, you're, you're taking your family over there to have a bite to eat. You're sitting in the square and you watch the, the murder of the entire leadership of the area. Um, that's, that's, that's unreal. Um, I'm telling you, folks, and, and I don't know that we're going to be able to do justice to this entire segment here because, I mean, it is so maddening to me that it took, it took the Republicans taking charge of the House before Biden would make a trip down there. By the way, if you if you haven't heard his statement made a uh, story here on January 8th yesterday by Fox News, um, Republicans have not been serious about this at all, President Biden said this a couple of days ago. So I wanted to make sure I knew what the outcome or at least the near outcome was in Title 42 before I went down. We don't have that yet. So I had to operate. I don't like Title 42, but it's a law. I had to operate within it. So what he's saying is, well, I, I've been holding out to watch how things develop before I went on down there. That's ridiculous. That's maddening. That's not true, by the way. It only came after 
the Republicans not only took control of the House, but Kevin McCarthy was named as the Speaker, and one of the designated changes is going to be an oversight committee that will literally examine whether or not um, federal agencies are being weaponized or abused. That's just where we are. Uh, Boomer, if I'm going to get that call, i got to get it now, man, before I hit the break. Uh, so let me just go ahead. Is that, is that Grandma Wanda from Coleman? Grandma Wanda, how are you doing? I'm doing great. And I'll tell you what, it, the Holy Spirit is working today. I just got back into, uh, into my room just in time to catch the last of that, that, uh, that lady's um, comment. I'm, I'm going to try to find the podcast because I know it was great. But she told about um, a documentary. She talked about praying yeah. people into jail, praying yeah. the cartel into jail. Woof, woof, can be done. And she said that a documentary I wrote, George Otis and the Power of Prayer. Is that right? Uh, you know what? I, I, I believe it was, but I'll, it was it was Allie from Athens. And Allie, why don't you text us if you could with the documentary name, and I'll announce it before the show's okay. over, uh, Grandma. But yeah. Uh, uh, thank you for telling me. I did not get her name. What was her name? It's Allie, A L I. Allie from Athens is our is our one of our regular callers, and she's the one who called in. And and now that you said that, Allie I don't recall the actual Athens. name of it too, but I'll get her to text back in and tell us what it was. Okay. Okay, because I'm going to hear that, and I want to tell you, here, several years ago, the Lord showed me he is moving amongst Latinos. There's, uh, TBN has just started a new, a whole new branch called TBN Salsa for second-generation Latinos in, in, in this country. They were on fire for the Lord. There is a movement, a strong movement in advance of this influx of Spanish-speaking people. God is ready for them. We pray for them. They came to America. They will find Jesus in America. There you go. There will be a revival amongst the Latinos. Right. Samuel Rodriguez. Is, he's the leader of the Christian coalition. Between, I don't know his title, but look up Samuel Rodriguez and TV and Salsa. And you'll find the Lord has paved the way for this, and we can pray for these poor people. And that's. Did we lose you? I believe the Lord is going to meet them in America. Well, Grandma, we love you. Got to run to a break. You are so right, and thank uh-huh. you so much. We appreciate your heart. We appreciate you. Thank you much. That's good. And Alex Mathens, if you heard that, we need to know what that documentary was so I can announce it. All right, folks, I am running out of time. Boomer, I ran late. You better get me to a break, bro. Don't just just play the music real quick. Go. <laughs> All right, folks. Phil Williams, Right Side Radio. Y'all stay tuned. We'll be right back. Bill Williams, Right Side Radio, solid, conservative, and just plain right. Hey, uh, we are back right now. Real quickly, before I go any further, I got to tell you about ZLA Solutions. Been with us since the very beginning. Uh, And ZLA Solutions, man, you talk about a, a group that's doing an amazing amount of work to put people 
back to work. That's them. ZLA Solutions, they've got a lot of business end solutions they can bring to bear. They, they can do things like, you know, logistics and warehousing and, and your sorting and containment, your quality control, all that kind of stuff. But their bread and butter, man, is staffing. It's putting people to work. So if you're an individual looking for a job, go to their website, ZLAUSA.com. They've got great jobs posted all over the northern part of our state. Big name employers, good wages. So check that out. But if you're also an employer and you need to fill out the ranks of your workforce, like you need, could be onesies and twosies with special niche kind of skills, or it could be a whole shift of people. It doesn't matter. Blue collar, white collar, no collar. They'll take care of it. And by the way, they can do the recruiting, the background checks, the drug testing, and get you outfitted with the right people at the right time for the right job. ZLA Solutions. You can find them at ZLAUSA.com. There you go. Um, hey, listen, uh, Grandma Wanda called in. Grandma, if you're listening, I, I called Allie during the break. Uh, that, that documentary, we believe, was called Transformation, and it was by a guy named George Otis. So if you're looking for that, uh, you can text George Otis Documentary Mexico. And probably the word transformation, you should find it. Um, Allie highly recommends it. And Grandma, thank you for your call. Um, Listen, I did not even get to do this justice. I may wind up doing the border again tomorrow based upon whatever happens with uh, Biden's trip down to uh, Mexico. But yeah, I mean, he literally goes into the notion that he was just waiting to see how Title 42 is going to work out before he went down to the border. Four million people plus have crossed the border since he took office. Literally, we're talking about seven to 8,000 per day. And he's just now decided, I think I might need to go down there. Couldn't have anything to do with the fact that the GOP just said, hey, we're in charge now, by the way, we're setting up a committee that you're not going to like where we're going to review this kind of thing. Oh, yeah. Oh, never mind the fact that uh, uh, Representative Mark Green, a member of the Freedom Caucus, just became the chairman of the House Committee on the Department of Homeland Security. Huh. How's that going to work? So Biden went down there. He stayed for three hours. They cleaned up the streets of El Paso so he wouldn't have to see it. You know, they don't want him to be offended. What they really didn't want was any photo ops. They didn't want anybody literally saying, uh, hey, here's a picture of the president's uh, caravan driving past an encampment of homeless uh, illegal immigrants flooding the streets of El Paso. Because that's what would have happened. Um, and you've got the Texas attorney general who is on the record as of yesterday saying that his, his, his new policies are, are, are not going to make it because he's acting outside the scope of what the executive can do by itself, which means it's going to get challenged in court and it's going to fall apart again. And so, so literally here's what Biden's plan is after all this time. He's going to wind up, you know, allowing up to 30,000 asylum claimants a year. And, oh, by the way, he's also going to wind up, uh, you know, sending back people from Haiti, Cuba, Nicaragua, Venezuela. What? How about all the other countries that are fled? How about Costa Rica? How about uh, Colombia? How about uh, Honduras? How about... um, you know, we're, we're getting Africans who are coming up. We're getting, we're getting people from the Dominican Republic. Folks, I'm just telling you, this is laughable. But that's his plan. He's going to do selective uh, returns. He's going to do um, alleged uh, amendments to the manner in which you can apply for asylum. And we're going to see what happened. And meanwhile, he's still going to sue to have Arizona take down its uh, state-built border wall. <laughs> it ain't gonna it, it, it ain't flying 
Meanwhile, the cartels are at war with the Mexican government, and it's chaos below the border. All right, folks. What a great day. Phil Williams, Right Side Radio. Boomer and I are back here tomorrow at 2. We'll see you then. Have a great night. Ruffians out there, you are listening to Right Side Radio, solid conservative, just plain right.